about to enter a world of pain, suffering, and laughter. brother douche how did he <laughs> that's how i deal with people you know how we deal with people hey guys it's worst gig ever <laughs> how um, do we deal with people <laughs> great <laughs> let me get through the intro first and then we'll then then we'll get to how we deal with people i'm mike pace i'm jeff carlock see this is how we deal with people we tell people <laughs> let's get through the intro and then and then this is this is we how get we angry at people we're like look let's just do this it's all irrational it's here <laughs> On the podcast. <laughs> the worst gig ever camp is fully irrational. Speaking of, this week we have Matt Rubano, who yep. is a very skilled bass player. You may know him from such bands as Taking Back Sunday and the All-American Rejects, among others. He's a session guy. Sesh he's a like, He's a serious. He plays like a five and six string bass, which we don't get into. We I, don't, actually, surprisingly. I'm actually like impressed that we did it. We, we, I'm we, proud we, of ourselves for not getting into he, it. He does give us a lot of great tour stories from his days playing in, in these bands and jeff and i are very interested in this it's, he played in a different level yeah he played in, in a, a different diff- level in a different world that I, we're just so we're interested in we're I, we aren't aware of i think he even offers bass lessons if you want to get to that level and jeff as a bass player mm-hmm. why don't you tell us about the first time you met matt rubano i believe because i'm a complete crank i think he said oh i heard you're the other bass player at ucb and i said yeah i am and then i walked away <laughs> Not because necessarily of him, but just because I don't have social graces. Well, it's because you like to make an impression. I love to make a first impression. You know, it's just like, hey, that guy's someone I don't want to talk to. You brought up a good, an interesting factoid there is that Matt is very involved with the Upright Citizens Mm -hmm. Brigade. He's an improviser as well. And we just scratched the surface of his comedy stylings. There's a lot of of bass talk here, a lot of touring talk, a lot of punk rock talk, a lot of jam band talk, too. I forgot about the jam band. And I will say this, this is probably one of the few episodes that we do get into jam band talk you can uh, challenge me if you go listen to all 90 other odd episodes at worstgigeverpodcast.tumblr.com find us on itunes leave us some feedback or ratings reviews whatever we're also on stitcher radio facebook you can pretty much find us anywhere you can pretty much find us anywhere including twitter Twitter, that's right. I'm go Mike to at, at e Worst Pace. Gig Ever, at Mikey Pace, at G Garlock. I remembered my Twitter name this time. There you go. And you know what you can also do? You can probably email us, right? Yeah, let's do that. WorstGigEver at gmail.com. We would love to hear from you. If you've got any comments, uh, we love hearing just that you like the show. Honestly, if you don't like the show, go nuts too. I don't <laughs> give a fuck. Send us uh, guest requests. We take them. And you know what you can also do? Go check out Tweaked Audio. That's right. If you go to tweakedaudio.com, enter the promo code WORST, you will get one-third off of your purchase of a pair of uh, fantastic headphones that you can listen to this episode, any of our previous episodes, listen to any of Matt Rubano's bands or previous band work. You can listen to anything on these headphones. You can listen to anything you want. There's that trademark Garlock. (laughs) There's that Garlock charm, man. That Matt Rubano love that first time (laughs) you guys met. So here it is. Check out Matt Rubano. On Worst Gig Ever. A sayonara. (laughs) Racy?
I got hired by a friend of mine who's a music director, so he puts bands together for, for artists to do a performance on The View. It sounds like it would be a fun, good gig. Sure. Television, sounds, yeah. Uh, immediately it sounds like, oh, well, that's not that's your worst gig? Shut up. <laughs> um, uh, and it was for, um, you know, like a, a, a Disney artist. I don't know, should I not say Disney? Uh, <laughs> it's for a Disney artist. It rhymes with Disney. Corporation with a mouse mascot. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Chuck E. Cheese. Chuck E. Yes. Cheese, yeah. right. Yeah, that's the one. <laughs> and uh, so we, were, we started rehearsing for it. And, and what it was was a, it's, a, it's a band of children um, that, uh, a band, uh, actors that played a band in a movie. And the movie was so successful. And they had done all the choreography and dancing that they were like, we should just turn these kids into a band. <laughs> but some of them sang, none of them played instruments. And they all just like sort of like by way of like arrogance and being actors were like yeah i play the instrument that i play in the movie now <laughs> fucking brats dude it was um it was really amazing and um but the, the the person playing bass the girl playing bass was like out of the country so i got hired to play bass and um mind you these are like teenagers like right. 16 17 year olds and while i don't like look particularly old i also don't look particularly sure. young you're in that right sweet spot of looking like your age. Yeah, throw a denim jacket on <laughs> yeah. them and it'll be fine, which exactly. is what I did. Uh, <laughs> so we were rehearsing for like days and days. And um, originally the the drummer, the, the kid playing drums was going to like stand and dance and sing because he's not a drummer. <laughs> um, and then like in a very last minute call, uh, his mother called like somebody at Disney and was like, my son's playing drums on The View. I don't care what has to happen to make it happen. He's playing drums. <laughs> so my friend, uh, my, my friend Tommy, who has to deal with this scenario, uh, hires another friend of ours to play drums. And the whole thing like get, gets torn apart where they're like, okay, no, no, no. This kid's playing drums. Have him teach him the part. Um, and then we'll, we'll do it, you know, live. <laughs> so what they do is they, they end up teaching him like drum choreography, like right. him playing the drums, but right. like not, uh, but like they've got the cymbals glued together, which makes them really dead. Uh. And they're filling the drums with towels and just muting everything <laughs> so that it like, but the kid has got fantastic like stick twirling chops. Like he can, he's got all the drummer yeah, tropes. Right. The theatrics down. He's right. got the theatrics of drumming nailed minus drumming. Sure. Uh, so, um, so we start rehearsing it that way. And I'm like, this is incredible. So what we end up doing on the, the show, on the performance was, uh, our friend John, the drummer is playing off stage in a plexiglass <laughs> box. Like, like you know like within so we all have a sight line right. to, the, to the real drummer and the kid is playing drums on stage Oof. and when we we sound check a couple of times like uh, do all like the blocking and stuff and this is at like like i don't know five in the morning like those shows are all so right. early all the morning shows you load in at like four o'clock in the morning so everyone's like all wonky anyway so we go to, to like try it a couple of times and um He's hamming it up behind the drum kit <laughs> so hard, like to the point where, like the the like the producer of the show is coming over and is like, "Okay, guys, everyone's excited. We're really excited. That's great. Let's just like let's just play the song." <laughs> um, and John, our buddy, is like on the side of the stage, like nervous as hell because he's counting off the whole thing, and it's like singing and dancing choreography. It's very. 
uh, it's a very like um, theatric kind of number where it starts <laughs> with like 30 seconds of like melancholy piano and singing and then there's like a big hi-hat count off you know like the four <laughs> four bashes on the hi-hat yeah. and then the song comes in and uh, so when that particular part comes up when the actual one that we did you know that we that we filmed that went out uh <laughs> John is on the side of the stage, he gets the click, and John counts the song off with the hi-hat thing, and he and the kid had worked it out so that he would do that, but when that part comes up, the kid's got both hands up in the air, <laughs> and he's twirling the drumsticks, <laughs> and I'm watching the whole thing happen, because I have to kind of, like, my job was to, like, make it look like we were really playing together, sure. like I was playing with him, mm -hmm. but I also obviously have to listen to John and kind of watch him to make sure <laughs> it's happening. All the while, like, you know, Whoopi Goldberg is there. It's just like, it was the most surreal experience. Is there a studio audience? There is a studio audience okay. of, like, raving fans of this group. Right. They and don't give a fuck what it sounds like. No, no. way. <laughs> and all of their... So the way the, the, the Disney thing works is, like, every kid has its own, like, total infrastructure with them of parents and management and... Agents. And, all yeah. The whole so deal. times every child in the yeah. group. So we, the musicians, are there, like, huddled in the corner backstage, like, kind of, like, you want to steer clear of all of it because it's high drama... And and super intense, um, but we got it done. But like, that's that's like some of the utter crappiness that that like you can encounter right. when you're like a musician for hire. Sure, there's a lot in there, and we actually haven't. I think that's a, the first time we've heard that type of story on the yep. show before, where it's a televised performance that involves some degree of of not lip syncing, but fakery. Like, Fakery. Yeah. <laughs> now, Tom Foolery. Is yeah. this drummer? Is does he have any? Is he like within the ballpark at all in terms of mimicry, or is he just going nuts? I mean, the, when he was like constant in the rehearsals, it was like, oh, this is this will come off. Mm -hmm. This will be all right. And wait, how old is? is He's are these probably kids? like sixteen. Okay, like he might have been the youngest. He might have been at the time like thirteen or fourteen. But they're teenagers, right? Yeah, right. he's like Johnny Depp, range. good looking. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But yeah, but like super cocky and arrogant. You know, they're they're famous children. Right? Yeah, you ever and met clearly a... backed up by parents. Right. Yeah. I don't know how many case. humble famous children <laughs> yeah. you guys have ever met, but they're not out there. <laughs> so what can you hear? Like, can you hear? You're hearing the real, like the good drums. Can you hear what ridiculousness he's hitting? <laughs> I can feel the disparity between what's. I was wearing like in ear monitors, mm -hmm. right? Which I couldn't have crammed further into my head right. that day. But I was hearing the disparity between like you know, if you stand next to a drum kit, you're gonna feel right. vibration yeah. regardless. So I was feeling that and really concentrating on John and listening to him and uh, ultimately kind of letting my eyes like decide what I was doing right. because I, I had to just like make it, I re you know, TV performances, the rhythm section, you know, the really only thing that matters on TV is drums and singing. Everything else right. is in the wash. You can't yeah, hear right. it unless you're like watching on some crazy sound system. Sure. So I picture it being like the, that beginning of that freaks and geeks episode when, uh, when he's playing along, uh, what's his name? The guy from, uh, oh. Jason. Yeah, yeah. Jason yeah. He's Siegel. playing along to Rush. Yeah. And he's playing like Spirit of Radio or whatever. Yep. And then it kicks back to what you hear, what he's actually playing. And it's like, that's right. Yeah. That is not too far off. <laughs> yeah. But you know what's also fascinating is that, you know, you always hear stories about, uh, you know, musicians playing and their, and their amps aren't plugged in. And it's for, I remember allegedly Vince. Chai Peps. 
Well, Vinny yeah. Stigma of Madball like would play without his amp, like his right. amp wouldn't be plugged in or whatever. Right. Uh, I, ale- I, a, I said it allegedly. allegedly. Freddie Madball, friend of the show. Right, right, sure. right. But the drums are such uh, like to try to mute the drums. It's the worst. Such a, I mean, everyone will tell you like your your band, your musical ensemble is really only ever as good as your drummer, mm-hmm. and that's like one of like a hundred axioms of like how to like figure out music. But right. like that's a tough one to bullshit. It really is. Yeah, and I, I my band Oxford Collapse had played a show. This is a worst gig ever that I've, I've mentioned before with Mini Kiss, the all oh, little yeah. person I'm Kiss cover band, yeah. yep. <laughs> um, among others. Yeah, uh, and it's three women and little gene simmons who is a man but the other right. members are all women uh so gene simmons and exactly <laughs> and he's playing like little gene simmons is totally into it yeah and but they sing but they play to a black backing track uh-huh. completely so the drum set which is a you know animal from the muppet size child <laughs> drum set she's playing but and it's it's really tough to mimic playing drums and not hit anything. So yeah. I'm I'm, sh- I'm assuming that also the sn- the snare, uh, not the snare, the hi hat was probably sealed. All the symbols were like two symbols glued together, yeah. right? So it's just like, <laughs> right. but like Mini Kiss doesn't even hit yeah. the 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 instrument. It's just air drumming in front. Oh, of I don't the drum think set. I realized that. It's crazy. Yeah, I thought Mini Kiss was like a legitimate. No, there's company. another kit. There's that another all, like all little person tribute. Kiss yeah, tribute sorry. band that actually plays the song. So. You mentioned the the peppers yeah. un, and and unplugged and uh-huh. just this whole. Of course, thing. the Super Bowl. Of course, yeah. yeah. Um, I'll, I, this is a, like a forty five minute story. I will tell in one minute. Um, my worst audition ever. Um, by which I mean like the whole experience, mm-hmm. not like my audition, uh, was for recent Academy Award winner Jared Leto. <laughs> oh my God! Where after a. Lots of people have heard me tell this story. I think I told this story at ASCAT. Uh-huh. And they had a blast with it. Right. This was a while ago. But um, I, I, long story short, I went out to L.A. under the auspices of, like, he needed to... They wanted me to play with them. At, but their bass player situation is just, like, stand in the black, in the back, wear black. You're not in the band. You're not in photos. For you're just 29 like, minutes to Pluto. Yeah, yes, yes, correct. Exactly. <laughs> correct. A band also, I was like tipped that. off. They have... Literally by their day-to-day manager guy, um, you're probably going to want to like not be sarcastic ever (laughs) or sardonic or anything. They don't really you don't have. He was like they don't have like a sense of humor um, about anything. I don't really know what these guys think is funny. (laughs) So I was like, I'm not exactly psyched about them being my client except for the money. Yeah, that was that actually was the vibe. And at the end of this whole thing. I had the guy had like a breakdown on the phone with me where he confessed to me that like his life is like a prison and he can't oh, make any God. decisions on his own and that he's like the most micromanaged person in the world. Right. But but relative to the um unplugged thing after like getting like kind of like jerked around ultimately by them for like a few days in Los Angeles um we played in, the, the audition was in two phases. Once, one time uh, at their guitar player's house, where we played, um, I played electric bass. He played electric guitar without amplifiers, oof, at, or plugged in, along to the CD of the band playing <laughs> on his laptop. What uh, just uh, if you remember, just for me, what type of guitar was he playing? 
uh, only in that I feel there are electric guitars which sound even worse, like when they're acoustic. Yeah. Like if it's like he's playing like a Parker Fly or yep. like a Paul Reed Smith, they'll yeah. just be like, "What are you doing, man?" Yeah, yeah. No, I mean, auditioning on an electric instrument without being plugged Stupid. in is real weird. Um, also, like just for the real music dorks out there, they have a lot of like low alternate tunings, right? So even more so. Yeah. Like harder to How low hear? do they go? I, I think the lowest I think there's a C okay. for the That's bass. That's what I tune to standard, but yeah. C on bass is like Whisper. floppy. Yeah. Yeah. Floppy. Just, just Especially as a, acoustic, you might as well just be like <laughs> yeah. as, a, right? yeah. as a as a slight tangent, I was talking about this this past weekend. I think that playing an electric guitar un, like with no amplification is literally the worst thing in like it's the worst yeah. sound. Yep. It's not it's nothing. It is Throw the worst. Throw a little out of tune in there yeah. and you've got <sighs> hell on wheels. That's... I feel bad for my wife when I'm sitting on the couch playing my dead strings <laughs> Epiphone SG so, as slightly yeah. out of tune in C standard tuning. Yep. And she'll just be like, You're kinda of rocking the whole couch. Can you stop? <laughs> So I'm also usually like doing like fast octave chords. I'd rather have one of those little matchbox cigarette yeah, amps sure. on my belt yep. just to give me something. Get a pig nose on your back. Yeah. Let's do this. Yeah. So so you're but, playing unamplified. So we do that, and then uh, in the middle of that... He thinks it sounds great. <laughs> I don't know what he thought. Is this the like, brother? Really... Is this Leto's brother? No, no, this is uh, not the... His, the, the other Shannon is player. the drummer. Okay. Yeah, this is... Um, uh, a guy named Tomo mm-hmm. and uh, Tomo who's a, a lovely guy they're all yeah oh, this is I'm so conflicted because like as an actor I think he's so talented I like I really enjoy him mm-hmm. but in real life my experience was like maddening mm-hmm. so, sure. so, so that was I have the, no uh, yeah. association with him he's he like was, a douche tart he was great uh, <laughs> and his band is so painful to he my he was great ears. as Mark it's David Chapman I was telling yeah. someone I think last night I, I don't think I've ever heard a full 30 seconds to Mars song yeah, from I bet beginning you, you to have, end unless it's in a movie you have no yeah idea yeah just because it's, it's pretty like for me at least in my opinion it's pretty you hear and you're just like oh i guess that's it yeah it's the most like kind of yeah. nondescript band it's like new metal u2 yep yeah yeah kind yeah. of i guess so this so we do that and then then he's like oh we're gonna go to jared's house now and we're gonna play and at this point i'm assuming we're going to like a place that will have equipment and maybe <laughs> maybe the drummer will be there and we get there and after like a a whole, I don't want to like tangent into it because it's like a whole other story. After like very weird experience of like getting there and Jared arriving, we got to his house and he wasn't there. So we were waiting outside for a while. Jared had just arrived um, from the airport, returning back from Haiti. Sure. Um, Humanitarian work. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> um, so then we go into his living room and, uh, and I, at this point I'm like, okay, so we're going to play for real. And, Tomo takes out his laptop again and his guitar, and I'm like, "We're well, no way, no way are we doing this again? So we do do that again, except this time uh, Jared joins us uh, with acoustic guitar. You were playing along to a laptop. It wasn't even a stereo. No, rec- not plugged into the computer. Oh none of that. Oh, my God. It's and like this- that Portlandia line where they're listening to music on their laptop. Like, this is the best way to hear music. Yeah. This is the, that's how you were, you were playing along to the song, playing uh, out of iTunes with no extra external let's speakers. Say we're sitting right now. The two of you are on a couch with a coffee table, and then I'm on the other side of the couch. Right. It would be as if 
you were me and you were Tomo and we're sitting playing electric bass and electric guitar. That laptop is playing the song and then I'm Jared Leto and I pick up an acoustic guitar. I put one foot on that coffee table and put the guitar on my knee. So I'm blasting you guys in the face with acoustic guitar. Right. The loudest thing in the room by dr- far. That we're, then we're going out of sync with the song. You know what I mean? And it's just... Because oh. he's certainly not listening to the song. Yeah. He's just going for it. And then at the end, it was like, all right, cool. Like we did the song twice and then that then he like disappeared into the recesses of his house and i never saw him again Th- that is amazing it was not so i mean I... And it, what, after that where it was it just didn't come together um yeah the 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 end result of that story is is the is one of the most bizarre parts of it because there was so much uh of an effort and emphasis and like uh like really kind of stressed um approach to like getting me to come out there right and that they needed somebody in like a matter of days right. for a for a year's worth of touring or <laughs> right. something um but they also had a guy already who was like the guy who'd done it for a long time um and in the end they gave me this weird message like look we respect you too much to hire you <laughs> And we and, know what the deal is with our band. And then I, but it, it, since then, I've spoken to a number of friends of mine that have worked uh, for them in different capacities, right. and have everyone sort of corroborated that it's just like a really very intense, sometimes like crazy world to right. be in. So um, while at the time I was looking for work, it, it was uh, I, I feel like I dodged a bullet. I mean, it sounds unbelievably unfun. I love too that it would have been. So if it had if it had worked out, you would have, they uh, like in my mind it ends up feeling like the new metal move actually of being the the bass player who has to not be on stage. Yeah, like because like Corn has done that. I remember when like like they lost their guitarist and they're like, well, we still need those second guitar parts. Let's just have some guitar tech I, in the back. Yeah. Slipknot, I believe, does that. I wanted to I wanted to talk died. to you about that, Matt, because I remember you. I remember like in high school seeing Green Day on like uh, some MTV live sure. performance in studio. Yeah, and I mean, I'm I think I'm remembering this right. There was an, a second guy playing guitar behind a partition. Yeah, like he was not part of the band, not and I don't Pat? even think he was supposed to be on cat. No, this is before. Okay. This is when they, they were still ostensibly a three piece. Yeah. Right, but they added a second guitar, and it was I don't know if the camera caught him off stage or yeah. like it seemed mortifying. I get obsessed to, with that concept. Just like on SNL, I'll see it. You'll see it a lot. The whole like where you're kind of like I'm yeah. like watching it and like. As somewhat of a musician, I'm just like, I don't understand why you have yeah. so many guitarists, but two to three of them yeah. are hidden, like yeah. they're not members of and, the band. I mean, yeah. what's the, uh, is the, is the mindset, I mean, have you done stuff like good, that? Yeah, so the the interesting thing is that that's like a real, it's like, um, there's, a, there's a brotherhood of people, mm-hmm. of musicians, who either by way of needing to survive or specializing in either multi-instrumental kind of thing or or some unique talent, like do stuff like that. Uh, A lot of them eventually become a part of the thing if they're in it for like the long haul. And then a lot of guys like just kind of like do that for for a living. Um, And in that world, it's like, it's kind of, it's elite, you know, it's, that's, those guys aren't clowns, you know? Yeah. Some of them, the off camera thing used to be like, you know, like, uh, like I identify the most, if I had to pick somebody to identify with, I identify with the wolf man from, from that <laughs> yeah, thing you do. Yeah. Uh-huh. That's been my life. 
right in, in a weird way uh <laughs> but like yeah i i think um i the decision to do that is usually sometimes it's coming from like something logistical sometimes it's coming from some like aesthetic concern uh and and every once in a while it's about music yeah. Right. Uh, so, yeah, there's, I mean, I have a load of friends who have done it for, like, really prestigious artists, and then eventually they either become, like, sort of an auxiliary member of the band or, or whatever, but uh, there's there's a whole lot of comedy in that. Because they're always, life. those guys have always existed. I mean, yeah. like, I, right I, now I'm picturing that bass player. I bet you you might know his name. I can't remember his oh, name. Oh, what? Um, the guy with the very who long play, He plays in Phil Collins' band at yeah. one point. Yeah. He's uh, a, Lee Sklar? I think, I think that is his be, name. Yeah. He looks kind of yep. Gandalfy. Yeah, he, he looks yeah. like he could be yeah. Waddy Watchell's brother. He'll, he'll yeah. watch, also, I'll classic be watching guy. Palladia, and he'll show yeah. up like twenty times. Yeah, it's like where I'm like, there he is again. Yeah, he's a very famous guy. Yeah, and uh, what Nathan East, right? Is he? He's like Nathan the, East played with Eric Clapton, mm-hmm. and uh, I mean, his list is so. And there's another uh, uh, the guy who plays in the Stones now. Uh, yeah, that's Daryl Jones. Daryl, yeah, who. I think Daryl got his start either with Madonna or and certainly Miles Davis. Yeah, he he played with Miles in the eighties at some point. And I I remember I mean, on held the tardy. Uh, what's his name? The drummer of Obituary was basically doing that with Edge WK. Yeah, like I mean, because well, they just needed metal guys. On the last couple of Ozzy era Black Sabbath records, mm-hmm. they'd give Don Airy the keyboard credit, right. but he was like it was featuring right. Don Airy on the keyboard, like he was. And I'm sure it also has to do with contracts and you know sure. black yeah. sabbath is these four guys yep. and you know uh yeah it's super weird yeah but it is fa- i mean but i i totally understand how it's like yeah it's not a clown thing it's not like why am i not on stage Just, yeah that guy's getting paid way more yeah exactly it's it's a funny thing because i've been in a in a band that chose to do that also mm-hmm. to bring a guy and it uh sometimes it can it sometimes it's like uh making that decision to have a threesome with your girlfriend and some right. some other person and then right. it just ruins you're like yeah. wait so what's why is he coming with us yeah. why is he in the van yeah we've had some uh, other guests uh, yeah, on I, the I, show I, it could be a psychological i've been having that even just my normal band where they yeah. every once in a while people would be like maybe we should get a second guitarist and i'm just like yeah why yeah. why, why? No, I yeah do it the job right here but, yeah. but there's also that idea like we've had like uh uh Previous guests like Timmy Mislock, who played with the Antlers, sure. Danny Lee Allen, who plays drums in this band, the Drums. But he, they, they both play in the live incarnations of the band. Right. They yep. don't record, yeah. or they didn't. Um, and so there's a whole other kind of mindset. Like that's what I'm I did reaping for... the benefits of touring. Yep. I'm people see me on stage. I'm not contributing to the songwriting. I'm not recording. Yep. And so that's a. I mean, that's and Jeff and I come from like I think uh, if I speak for myself, very democratic like. In we the write band. the songs, we do all the stuff, get yep. in the, exactly, get yeah. in the van style. I've been so on both sides of yeah. that, and both sides have, the, the pro and con list, I think, stacks up pretty evenly, mm-hmm. which is weird to say, because I did like eight years in a band as a member, writing, touring, making ev- all like loads of decisions in a group dynamic, um, and and it's like, there's so many, it's great, You, it's like the dream come true. Right. And then for the last couple of years, or, or a year and a half or two years, I did. Uh, I was the addition, one of the additional guys with All American Rejects playing bass and very and a little acoustic guitar and some synth and singing, and another guy who was playing keyboards. <clears throat> and then there's the four band members. Mm-hmm. So partic- the, the really weird part of it is like when you encounter fans. Uh, I guess specifically online because <laughs> they don't. 
really some fans get it and they're like oh yeah those sure. are extra guys uh these are the guys on the poster that right. is in my room and then some fans like i will still get tweeted at like hey are you gonna be at you know this gig in some city and i'm like uh i don't know <laughs> right. i don't think so and they're like i don't understand where are you right. and uh yeah it's it's weird but that side of it is i also felt after being in a band for a long time and dealing with like a mountain of bullshit that you have to deal with in any group dynamic, mm-hmm. but when you, put some, I feel like when you put it in music and rock and roll, it just, it's real fucked up. Mm-hmm. And then getting out of it and being, but being around it in like a peripheral way sure. and just watching dudes deal with like decisions and all their right. management and agents and stuff and just like sitting in the back of the bus and being like, ugh, gig's over. I think I'm just gonna, <laughs> right. just gonna turn in. <laughs> right. You guys, let me know how that turns out tomorrow. It's yeah. great. I mean, there's also probably some, I mean, it's, I guess it's different. I was just thinking of the sweet spot of like, I remember like the last tour we did with Panthers. We had our friend playing drums, and he had played a bunch, but, like, we had agreed to give him some money. Uh, well, set up the situation, though. Your studio drummer didn't couldn't tour. Yeah, our our drummer right. for the whole band, like, he had a kid. He had, uh, and he was like, all right, well, I'm done with this. And then we brought in our friend Joe, and he started drumming, did a bunch of tours. And then our guitarist, right before we left for our, like, last tour with High on Fire... Like, he was like, I got it. I'm like 40. I got to get a career. <laughs> uh, and so we had to get another guitarist. But we, and we almost didn't get our drummer who was playing those tours because he was going out with maybe like School of Seven Bells or some other bands. And so we're like, can we lock you in and we'll give you this certain amount? And it wasn't much. Right. But it was one of those things. We got to the last day, got back to our practice space in Williamsburg. Me and the only other original member at that point were realizing, oh, we're kind of in the red, actually. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And he's like, so, can I... Uh, I was like, oh, right. I was kind of just hoping you were going to ask. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Because that was the only tour that I came home that my wife had to pay, pay rent. for rent. Yeah. But, yeah. I, you know, we had to get... Because it, we had agreed to it. Yeah, no. And he had the niceness of just being like, all right, see ya. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Deal with it. There's a reality of when you're hiring people. Mm-hmm. I mean, we've talked... Because we've talked about the hired gun scenario. Yeah. And I mean, there is like a... You know, it's a different kind of investment in mm-hmm. the project. I mean, yeah, for it's, sure. a, it's a job. I mean, it's depending on your definition of the word gig, which yeah. we'll ask you about later. <laughs> right. Some people consider a gig to be like this. A gig is a job. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, where where there's a, um, you know, a steady paycheck coming in and yeah. it's, you're not a privy to the other aspects of the band. And that sounds like it kind of works, works yeah, out in, in it, some cases. When you, when you have the full experience, which it sounds like you guys mm-hmm. both have either by way of like firsthand or or like people that you know yeah it it makes you see the whole thing and and it's a little bit sad because you realize like how how sort of like um fucked up it is like this is one of i guess any creative endeavor has this in it but the music business has a particular kind of screw that is being returned (laughs) to everyone at all times it's like it's like throwing crumbs into like a prison cell of guys who've been locked in there forever and sure at some point they'll figure out like yeah let's let's okay we have to distribute this fairly right but people go crazy um yeah i i after all of those experiences at like these days, I'm real happy to be off the road and playing kind of like, like selectively with mm-hmm. like people who, you know, I either like the music or it's a good gig or right. whatever. Well, I think um, the hard part in there too, though, is that like we've talked about this before is like these, 
you're given these opportunities and these crumbs are thrown to you, but you're also at an age where you're still like most of the time you're still developing like yeah. as human beings, how mm-hmm. to interact with the world and sure. your bandmates. And it's almost like the worst situation mentally yeah. to be having these moments where it's like, you know, you're either, you know, fighting about some show or like, you know, getting some sort of respect. Right. Like at some point you're like, oh, this is me and I'm yeah. taking yeah. this. And- All piled up around your initial desire to do, play your instrument, yeah, do your exactly. thing, perform right, right whatever The things why is. you decided to do this right. in the first yeah. place. So it's a really potent mixture of like, I have to keep going right. through yeah. this desert of sure. pain and misery. Yeah, because you don't. Yeah, you don't have the, at least I, most people, I don't think at the age when it usually happens, have the wherewithal to be like, oh, we need to remember why we started playing music. Yeah. When it was just like, oh, we're in high school and it's just fun to be in a band and do this instead of partying. Yeah. Uh, but you don't, and then, yeah, you just end up like, okay, well, I just got this drive. And at least I know, I, I'm sure you felt the same. I felt the same way. It sounds like a bit like all of a sudden, like you're done, at least for me, like playing music basically. Yeah. And you're like, oh, wait, I'm like... 30 uh, yeah now. like what happened i still yeah, like, like in a way, this. because you are just like well there's another tour like yeah. of course we're gonna keep mm-hmm. going like yep. why would we stop yeah yeah, yeah. get in the tunnel so yeah i do want to ask you about the band that you played in for mm-hmm. for many years taking back sunday yes mm-hmm. um and a story I've actually never told on the show as someone grew up on long island oh yeah eddie riaz actually uh-huh. gave me the guitar lesson that changed the way I played guitar. That's um, amazing. And I want to say that this is, and I'll, I'll set it up by saying, I think this was probably 1996. Okay. And I was like, you know, a Long Island hardcore kid and was going to shows and stuff. And Was you he know, in movie life or Mind no, Over this Matter? No, this is before that. This was, oh, he okay. was, Eddie played in Clockwise. Clockwise. And I believe I have the Clockwise the, demo. And Clockwise, <laughs> to me, for the listener, Clockwise was a, a Long Island hardcore band who I, melodic hardcore band, yes. who I think were, who, if I had to pick any one of those bands to still listen to today, I right. think that the Clockwise, I guess it was a demo or a CDEP, actually holds up. Which is also why when I was a 16-year-old, it's like into Hatebreed. Uh. I was like, this is not, this is too melodic for me. It sounds like Long Island. <laughs> no, exactly. So, uh, Eddie was playing. Because also at that point, that was when there were clear delineated lines. So I'm yeah. like, ah, that sounds like Long Island hardcore. It, well, yeah. no, the, it shit. was very, it was very, very much a regional thing. Um, and I think he had also, he was also playing an inside sure. at the time who mm-hmm. had a, a great cassette demo. <laughs> um, but, we got to talking on like uh, some America Online Long Island Hardcore message board, and Eddie, uh, you know, I used to always see him at shows. He's a, a, a few years older mm-hmm. uh, than me. He was, I, he must have put out something that he was looking to start a new band, and I had like my high school band, Willis. Who was we had our that. we had our one ska song. Oh, Willis used to be Ketchup Enema. We changed our name to Willis. What was the first name? Ketchup Enema. <laughs> Ketchup Enema. GG Allen reference. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, what was what was your ska song called? Do you remember? Insider. Okay. Was the name of the ska song. Yeah, yeah sounds about right. uh, it was more ska punk. Like an Illuminati sure. ska yeah. song. Yeah. yeah. So <laughs> I I you know I Eddie and I got to chatting uh-huh. online. I said I you know I play guitar. Calls me up at home, starts telling me, he's like, I want to start this new band, blah, blah, blah. Wow. We're talking, whatever. 
few days later that weekend, drives over to my house. It was a Saturday. I mean, my dad was playing <laughs> piano in the... Uh, he played in the, him on? In the, in the, <laughs> no, in the, yeah, in the den. Eddie drives up in like a 1983 Oldsmobile Cutlass Supreme, like this enormous car. Yeah. Remember, this is like, this is, I, I want to say it was 96, might have been late 95. Yeah. Brings his guitar in, comes into the basement. I've got my, was my first guitar at the time, was just a Strat. Sure. With a crate tube amp, but it was actually it was, it was actually a nice. It was a cream colored leather, but it was like a Ooh. you know it had one speaker. It was Sounds not beautiful. Yeah, it yeah. was very. And Eddie's like, well, "Why don't you play something for me?" Whatever. I don't yeah. remember it, and I. It was clear that I was not an accomplished <laughs> guitar player in the slightest. The right. And within about ten seconds, like the look on his face, I think kind of changed. I gotta go. And well, before, but no, he was very gracious because he said. You know, if you played that riff like this, yeah. and he taught me the, um, it's kind of the classic emo guitar thing where you have, uh, it's like one string, uh, keep the yep. second string open, and then yep. the third string, so you're playing sure. like a bar chord, but with uh, an open string, I don't know, with a technical the master. term. Yep, and that. he taught me that, yeah. and I was like... Thank you, Eddie Riaz. And, that, yeah. and I, I've used that ever since. And he was, yeah. he was a really nice guy. And, and obviously, you know, I didn't, I guess that may, may, that band may have become the movie life or something. Yeah. Uh, I don't know timeline wise, but, but probably. But because Taking yeah. Back Sunday would have had to have started much later. Between, well, yeah, but also in between there and 2000, 2000. Now I'm just See, remembering too that I might remember I don't, might know someone from the movie life, but that's what, well, just some Boston dude who ended up at Dave. The, the interesting something. thing was O'Connell. In, yeah, yeah. I, Dave, okay, do you want to here? I'm going to tie yeah. it all together right here. Yeah. Dave O'Connell is my childhood best friend. Oh, really? Known him my entire life. So his younger brother, uh huh, Mark O'Connell, was the drummer in Taking Back Sunday, who was the person who called me to come play with them in I the first didn't place. Know that. So did that whole? That's crazy. Were yeah, you involved man. in that whole scene? Like, were you no. going to shows as a kid? Or I what mean, was your... yes and no. Uh, yes, in when I was in high school, I was in a band. Uh, my high school had like five bands in it. Well, what didn't Glassjaw come from your high Glassjaw school? Glassjaw was not from my high school, but from that area. Chris Baldwin, right? That who wasn't from Baldwin, or yeah. was that his real name? He played. He was one of the original guitar players in right. Glassjaw. He had blonde hair. I don't know where each of the guys in Glassjaw were from specifically, but at that point, like in the early '90s, the Long Island thing. It, Long Island's like a was a crazy hotbed. Oh, for, sure. for young bands, and I don't know if it was just because of the proximity to New York. Uh, to, to Manhattan and, and like loads of national sure. gigs all the time. Or like the, the, the thing that I attribute it to is like in retrospect, I have no idea why there were so many fully functioning rehearsal spaces in these <laughs> suburban <laughs> yeah. towns right. and guitar stores and sure, music yeah. stores, music teachers. Um, it was nuts. Like in retrospect, that's a crazy thing. I don't think that is consistent throughout the United I States. If it is a bit because it's so close to New York and a lot of dudes maybe like migrated. Like possibly and like settled there. It's not. We're just like I'm sick of the fucking the, yeah. The, 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 the decaying New York. At the, the, the other time. thing that's yeah. interesting though is Long that the Island. Long Island, especially like the punk and hardcore scene, was insulated and it was this, it was its own thing sure. as opposed yeah. to going to the city, especially in the early '90s, mid '90s, was not like 
as cool. You know, Brooklyn didn't exist. Like yeah, it, it wasn't was on the map. I mean, there were shows on Long Island, much like you know, like I, from every weekend. I knew Long Island. Yeah, like I just sure. knew of like the scene. Like I was like in in my mind, and I can't even tell you what it was. I think just it had more of a melodic edge a lot yeah. of it to me. But I knew what Long Island hardcore sounded like when I was sixteen in Connecticut. Sure, and I was like, that doesn't sound like what yeah. I was. At, at that point, the bands that we were in looked up to the, those guys. Seemed. Bands like that were like famous to mm-hmm. us, right? Sure, because yeah. they they crossed high school lines. Right. Yeah. What were the bands at your high school? Uh, the bands that we were in, yeah, or and that it were, yeah, like the these bands are you bands that no one has ever heard of. Or, or uh, actually, give us, give me, are there any of note that we might have heard of, um, or bands that you maybe weren't in, but people, uh, people, there was a yeah. band called Seven Years War, yeah, um, that uh, I think. Um, jo- I'm going to space on Josh's last name, but I think he ended up being in VOD later. Right. Um, Vision of Disorder. Uh-huh. Strong Island's best. <laughs> one yep. of, yeah, one of the best Long Island. Um, my favorite demo, uh, yeah. possibly of I worked, I, I had my, so I went to, I went to Berkeley in Boston uh-huh. and studied uh, jazz for uh, like a year and a half. And then I had to move back to New York because I'd run out of money <laughs> and, and direction. Um, were and, you up there with it when Dave was there? Um, we were, uh, or did he, I know he went to Scranton for a little while yeah. and then went to Emerson. I don't know which was first, but okay. I don't, I think we were, I think we were there at the same time right. at some point. Um, I but wonder if we cross paths. At some yeah, point, dude, possibly. that's so crazy. Um, but, uh, and, and when I moved back to Long Island, I had to get a job and, and the only, the job that I got was just from like coming through the newspaper was working at a, uh, collection agency. <laughs> Which was like you put on a tie and sure. then they teach you how to collect debts from people. Sure. And I sat next to George Reynolds uh-huh. uh, at the time. And right. that was like how I kind of... From re- Mind Over Matter, yeah, right? Yeah, it was how I like kind of reconnected with, wow. with that scene. Um, but yeah, I was like... At that point, <laughs> I was like playing... I had just started playing bass and, and the high school bands we were in. Like we had a little scene as well where we would do shows and our like half of our school would come out and right. support it. It was really like a a very like a uh, encouraging environment to play mm-hmm. music in and then towards the end of high school I got interested in in jazz and all this other stuff and really wanted to go to Berkeley and went up there and that kind of changed all of that stuff from like wanting to run around on stage and play bass like right. Flea or whoever sure. and then like uh, you know getting into all that stuff yeah who was uh just this is something that I know my answer what was your first like who was the person who was like I'm gonna play bass like that's why I'm starting the bass. Oh man, it was probably somewhere between Eric Avery and Flea. Eric okay. Avery yeah. from Jane's Addiction, mm-hmm. um, but also how like, I also I've said before how I tune my guitar. Yeah, a lot of times is Mountain Song. Yep, nice and easy. But that that time, you know, like there were so many bands that were so many alternative quote unquote bands at that time that had really prominent bass players from like Fishbone and Primus and the Chili Peppers, Jane's Addiction. We know my let's play That's why I started playing bass. Yeah, I never played like. Him, but yeah, that was the go. Everyone tries for a little while, yeah, and then you realize like uh, too many puppies. It's really weird, but yeah, that was. That I can whole... play too many puppies, though. Yeah, man. Yeah, that's a, that's the a good riff to play. So, I I mean I uh, my question for you is by the time that Taking Back Sunday came around, yeah, mm-hmm. I was I was gone. I was yeah. like so I didn't have a relationship to the band. Yeah. Um, you know, I was going through my very pretentious thrill so jockey. Was, so uh, was I. You know, like so. So one of the things in that the same place. Well, I, <laughs> one of the things I've always been fascinated with, and I'm very curious to your answer. You know, a lot of the bands that take you know Taking Back Sunday helped rode this wave. Yeah, 
of these kind of like uh, whatever it would be. I don't know, third generation emo mm -hmm. influence, mm -hmm. but there's also a very commercial element to that. Mm -hmm. And you know, the early to mid aughts, tons of bands were yeah. were you know were riding this wave. From where I stood, and I think, and where Jeff, like you know, we came from punk and hardcore and then yeah. like we you know got into different types of music and and we're still very active like the perception of all of those bands the thursdays mm -hmm. the taking back sunday like the um it didn't seem like they they were bands that i i at the time I was not interested in yeah. like it felt like yeah. they didn't they they didn't get um uh quote unquote as 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 popular as they were and as successful as they were they didn't necessarily, from my standpoint, get the kind of legitimate, you know, like they weren't reviewed in, you know, like a Fat Records band was never reviewed in Rolling Stone. Right. You know, Pitchfork didn't cover that stuff and still doesn't. And, yeah, and, yeah. and that's, uh, Pitchfork is not gospel at all. No, I know But, you know, you mean, I went though. on to play in kind of an indie rock band and that uh -huh. was, right. um, you know, that was the barometer. Yeah. Um, so I'm wondering if you and the guys in the band, was that something that you even thought about or did you care? Were you guys too just like reaping the benefits of like being yeah. in a band that was playing sold out shows and doing great? Well, for, from my perspective, it was really strange because I had no prior knowledge of the band, even when Mark called me. Mm -hmm. I knew he was in a band and like my mom told me like Mark's band's doing pretty good. Um, but you know, I was like living in Williamsburg and doing like freelance, like playing random gigs and stuff. Uh -huh. And same, I had like an indie rock band that I really loved and we were doing a very deep, heavy thing. <laughs> and, uh, and so, so I didn't really like have a frame of reference for what it was. And when I Mark, when I like checked out those, so they had done one record, mm -hmm. they had done uh, their first record. And when Mark told me to check it out and learn the songs, um, the, uh, what I, I I didn't really like love it, but what I responded to was kind of like the the energy of it. It was very much like just like it felt like a bunch of people just like playing on high. Mm -hmm. um, and then when I went to play with them the first time, I was like, "Wow, this isn't very good." <laughs> but it was. But it did awaken in me that thing that we were just talking about, which was like at first I wanted to pick up the bass and jump around with my friends. Right. You know, we I. You know, I probably practiced jumping with the bass before I really had good <laughs> sure. playing yeah, together. Never quite got it down. Yeah, <laughs> so it so it really kind of like it was a bit of a full circle thing for me. But as far as like the media perception and like what we were listening to versus what we were creating, I think there was always like a really bitter like taste in everyone's mouths um, when it came to that. Because so so for somebody like Eddie who was so integral in that whole in the development of that whole scene for I mean, he's such a, a lifer, long time right. a lifer but even like a bit of a historian too yeah. he knows yeah. like he knows the origins of everything the members of every like he really um it was was deep into all of that and so was i joined taking back sunday at the same time as fred mascherino who same thing fred was like uh had been around forever and had had you know other bands that while they weren't as successful like were really mm -hmm. great and bands that people loved. Um, so everybody and and really had like they were way into something, but we were listening to everything. Right. So when we got kind of like when we would get shit on, it was always like, well, we're listening to this. We're listening to what you hate us for. <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? You hate us because we're on this end of the spectrum or whatever. Um, but I don't know if we spent a lot of time really focusing on it because the reality of it was like. 
we were up against our own albatross where like we had these we joined the band and ultimately they were like up for anything creatively right they weren't trying to duplicate what they had mm-hmm. done they were just kind of like let's what do we do now um so really that was always um much more important that we like made something together that yeah. was worth them continuing on yeah uh, and then when it was successful we just kind of like you know we worked hard we didn't just like poop songs out and then like wait for the money like right. it was, no oh we no were working our balls of course out. i feel like there's a stigma though at least from my perspective like if you're a warp tour band yeah. kind of thing well, it's, yeah yeah I, I think that at least like yeah i think the outlook is at least i know how i would always look at it was like I would always have this like gauge in my brain of like, is there at least one guy or most of them in the band who like get it? Like they, they, they came from the right background. Yeah. Cause like in my mind, there's like a band like the used, right? Like I don't fucking know them, but I was like, I always was kind of like, Oh right. They don't, they, I don't think they have any like connection to actual hardcore. They don't have any actual connection. Like I'm not, I can't trace their lineage yeah. back to something that like matters to mm-hmm. me. But I would do that for every bit. Like I remember even thinking with like the Toadies, <laughs> even at that point, being like watching the video and thinking like, wait, I wonder if at least one member, I think the gray haired drummer probably was in some amphetamine reptile band. Like he probably yeah. played with the cows or the dwarves yeah. at some point. Oh, and dwarves. in my mind, that gave them this like, well, they were cred. called, they were called yeah. the toadies. So they were probably, they at least had heard of the Minutemen, I would think, you know? Right. Yeah. Uh, uh, and it, but that's what it would always be. It would be like, where I'd be like, all right, well, taking back something, you can go back. Like there's yeah. an actual connection, but then there are those, because also for me, I ended up like working for Arista records. Mm-hmm. Uh, for like two and a half years doing like A&R admin. Uh, when? Uh, 2001 to like okay. 2003. Yeah. Uh, That's exactly the pocket where like there was a legitimate critical mass thing mm-hmm. happening with these Warped Tour bands. Right. The, the bands that were on mm-hmm. Warped Tour at that time that did that did come from these like Long like basement shows, right? Stuff that I wasn't around for, right. but yeah. I knew was happening. And I happening. would watch those bands, but that I even working there, I would be like, "All right, they've signed Gob from Canada, but at least yeah. even if I don't like them, they are somewhat yeah. connected to punk." But right. this band Wakefield, who are some like Warp Tour band, like they're a bunch of young idiots who like don't have any connection and i was immediately just like oh fuck these well, and then but what's also amazing because i mean i would do the same thing but we're also keep in mind we're in our early 20s we're sure. incredibly judgmental yeah. it's like the, yeah. it, it is the wrong way to approach sure. like well, listening to this things stuff. ascribed to us too that were like impossible like i remember thursday being on the cover of spin and it was like and i think the 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 the, the like uh what do you call it the headline was like thursday is going to change the face of rock and roll, like on the cover of a rock and roll magazine. Right. And then Rolling Stone, maybe before I joined, said that Taking Back Sunday needed to prepare itself for world domination. It's just magazine Pretty fodder. Built. Yeah, but it's like really, it says, it it gets a bunch of eyes to right. go, and yeah. they check it out, and then like, you know... So sometimes people go who and they check it out and they're like fuck that right because well, but- there's also i think in me especially in rock media but just in media and chat like there's also the kind of cycle of power yeah where it's like the people who are now in charge of doing the cover in charge of doing the articles like you know they've reached they came from a certain class yeah like they were from like the 96 class of music mm-hmm. and now it's like all right now i've got my chance to either take someone up or take someone really down yeah uh, so it's like, oh, well, I grew up on this certain type of music, and so now I'm going to yeah. write the article about 
screamo now or whatever it is uh combined with like you said, it's basically like pre-internet clickbait yeah like taking back sunday is going to change the way you look at the universe yeah and you're like well that's clearly bold yeah. but i know why you did that but yeah. when you're like a kid and an impressionable angry 20 years like what the fuck are you talking but about? i think yeah. what's ultimately a band like taking back sunday gets the last laugh because while panthers and oxford collapse were struggling to get like 50 people in any given city yep Taking Back Sunday is, is I'm assuming, playing sold-out shows to adoring fans yeah. Yeah. the vast majority of the time. And, that's, and while so, we're, tor- we're turning yeah. down, like, Thursday and Coheed and Cambria tours because we got some dumb idea in our head, right. about, yeah. uh, which was stupid. Like, we we had some. I, I do think it's interesting though that like a big band, like the like having the worst gig is not limited to like the dregs or sure. the under. Oh, absolutely, yeah. I remember because um, I came here to win, guys. <laughs> I want to beat everyone's <laughs> yeah. worst gig one, stories. Please. Uh, we did. Um, so all of those bands, like every band that reached like a height, has a story about getting hired by somebody famous to mm-hmm. play a par- private party. And uh, some of the bands like got paid like these crazy like one million dollars to do a birthday party for some fancy person. Ours was not that, but it was like some offer that we accepted like readily to play at Tommy Hilfiger's son's twelfth birthday, <laughs> which which was like outside in a park in um what's the super fancy part of connecticut the super waspy like, uh like danbury area or was it lime i'm spacing on the town uh, right but it was like the, the very rich uh-huh, fancy right. town greenwich they, greenwich yes. thank you i should just yes. remember that um so it's like an outdoor gig and unbeknownst to us it is emceed by the birthday boy the the concert the full production concert that's been thrown up in a park um is emceed by him and he uh his name i think was robert or richard but you had to address him as r hill because he had this like pseudo rapper persona of course he did um and he would speak in a really like affected way, like you know r hill is terrible too by the yeah. way that's a terrible yeah. affected rap name yeah it's not good and uh so like the first group he introduced was like a band at his school there were like kids like children playing but he like met he was like i manage these guys these guys are blowing up and it was like a band of kids that played and then he came out and was like you ready for my boys take it back Sunday?" <laughs> and just the whole thing like we were backstage like cringing with like stomach cramps about like how suckily sellouty it was to do it and then we got up on stage and i remember having this like super weird moment where i realized that stephanie seymour was there do you guys know who that <laughs> is axel rose one rose. time uh, and it was like super weird because she was like holding a baby like it was like she was in mom mode but right. like to to a dude who grew up in that era stephanie seymour course, is never yeah. in mom november i'll say this too off of that with the interesting part i think she actually is known for now having a really grossly close relationship with that son oh i really like right. i've seen yes. a lot of weird photos of both of them like frolicking on a beach together and yeah you're, like if you didn't know better they would be i think yes i have heard that Mommy. so this yeah. was an invite only this was birthday like a party. yeah i i think so i remember it being outside and i don't remember it being very secure like I don't remember it being like 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 um super private, right. but it was clearly this like kid having like a massive 
like huge budget birthday bash. And how many sure. people are here? Are Not people a lot. Upset? Not <laughs> a lot like... of people. That was the other thing. It was like it was like a full production stage. Yeah. Like you know there was spared no expense. Yeah. yeah. And then there were like. I think there were Not like some came pe- out for R Hill or whatever his name I, was. Dude, <laughs> he might have even performed later, but I we we did the gig and I think we did the like hurry up get out yeah, of here yeah. kind of thing because yeah. it just didn't feel very good and then we went on like a, a legitimate tour. Um that was a that was a pretty rough <laughs> that, one. Just a, a, a slight footnote to that. I was a production assistant on uh, uh, Tommy Hilfiger's daughter's MTV reality show, Rich Girls. You were. Oh, wow. Just I was one just episode. sitting here thinking to myself, I found her weirdly attractive. Yeah, she, she was attractive. <laughs> like because, but it, attractive in that kind of like it's very rapid, long. like New York, like, let's like call, socialite. Let's girl. call it what it is. Jappy Long Island. Yes, but like I remember watching it just being like... Pretty good looking rich girl. I think there. it's Jamie. Yeah. I think her name is Jamie yes. Hilfiger. Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah. I don't know. Oh, was Jamie there? I don't. If she was, she was probably a child. <laughs> yes, that's true. <laughs> the uh the other one that oh, that I remember <laughs> with yeah, yeah, we're super old. Yep. Uh you will appreciate you both will appreciate this. We did our first uh gig in the UK was at um a festival called the Download Festival. Mm-hmm. And and as we were talking about earlier, like genre blending over there in the rock world i right. specifically they um they don't really separate a lot of things right. on a festival there can be like we were supposed to play download too right. yeah. like, and but then vice wouldn't fly us over and i was like all right well, all right thanks guys <laughs> yeah but you'll have a, so, a, a melange yeah. bands yeah. playing like indie stripes. rock super heavy stuff uh it's all over Damn, the yeah. place um, so we got there and we had like a very laissez-faire tour manager at the time who was like this Norwegian guy who kind of seemed like he hated us, um, <laughs> like as people. And, uh, so we got to the festival and we're hanging out backstage and, uh, we're meant to perform, uh, later on in the night on the same stage that, uh, Slayer is meant to perform Fucking on. Hell. Yeah. So at some point in the Do you have afternoon, any idea which tour that would have been for Slayer? God hates us all. Thousand four or five mm. summer. Yeah, I'll find out for sure. Either God hates us all, or Christ delusion. Go yeah. On. So, so we um, we're standing about backstage, and one of the like uh, I don't remember if it was Live Nation or Clear Channel or whoever was running the thing, we got approached by them, and they were like, "Hey, um, Slayer's here, but their crew isn't here." And a lot of their gear has yet to arrive. So we're wondering if you guys could help us out because it's going to screw the this production schedule of this show, of this stage, rather. If you guys could go on earlier and then uh, they'll go on uh, later on. Mm-hmm. And we were like, and it was kind of like they came to us, not our tour manager. Like, we don't make right. decisions. We're <laughs> yeah. in the band. So uh, we were like, sure, Mr. Soup Man, we'll, we'll yeah. do it. We'll help you out. Um, but they had... No, but it was already time. It was like the, the so this is like a tent at a multi-stage festival that probably could fit ten thousand people in it or yeah. eight thousand people in it. It is packed out with Slayer fans. Which, if you've never seen a Slayer fan, they look like orcs. Yeah, 
Like and also they are now. Now it has become like you're gonna hear violent yelling of Slayer at every metal show I go to. Yeah, because that's how rabid yeah. Slayer fans are. They can be not even at a gig. Yes, and people so are just to clarify. I left Iron Maiden. Everyone was just yelling Slayer. <laughs> yeah. Just, yeah, just to clarify, you guys were supposed to play before Slayer anyway. We were supposed to play later on that night. They were supposed to play. Let's say at three o'clock. Mm-hmm. Their crew and gear was not there. Okay, so you were not supposed to be right up. We were behind. supposed to okay. be nowhere. Near uh, Slayer. We saw that we, you know, there it's not like those stages don't run like headlining slots. Right. So many big bands and so many fans that it's just like, come see your favorite band. Right. So we agreed to do it and they start wheeling our backline on stage and our backline gets booed. (laughs) Because <laughs> Slayer has a very distinct backline, yeah. uh, also a very distinct backdrop that we did not have, <laughs> and they start booing our equipment, and they start throwing like at UK festivals. They do bring a wide assortment of like hate stuff to throw oh, at you. Right. Um, I remember seeing like nine volt batteries being thrown, uh, golf balls, pound coins, which I'm like, that's two bucks, man. Yeah. Don't throw two dollars <laughs> at me. Uh, and and they were like. Like, there was, like, a barrage of shit, like, coming to the stage. So, we had agreed to do this thing, and then they were like, all right, you guys are on in a few minutes. And we're at the side of the stage, and the security, uh, like, detail of of the stage decided that it was unsafe to go on stage. (laughs) But the Clear Channel guys were like, you'd really be helping us out if you go out there. So the security guys were on the side of the stage, and the security guy, I remember Eddie, like, holding onto a pole, and he was like, I'm not going out there. (laughs) Uh, And, like, the security guys were like, hey, if you guys want to go on, it's fine with us, but you just have to step around us, because we have to, we're advising you that, like, it's not safe to go out there. But if you want to play, just go ahead and walk right around (laughs) us. We were like, this is like signing a death waiver. This is like, (laughs) I'm okay with what's going to happen to me. Um, And I think what ended up happening was, like, right before we were about to try and do this, um, they the the crew arrived. But like I mean, in like the last Oof. second, and then they pulled our stuff, and Slayer went on. Oh my um, god! But wow. I mean, it would have been like going in front of a firing squad. Yeah. Yeah. It was it was really terrifying, and and like uh, and then when it was over. Their fan, like some, there still was like a constituency that stuck around, and I was just like, "No, get out of the tent, leave the tent, you bucks." That is crazy. Position of power says you'd really be doing us a favor. Oh, they're just you're getting screwed. Is there though? Is there legitimately? Is there a worse slot in all of music than opening for Slayer? Probably not. No. No, maybe just like going on in front of like like a like a Christian audience. That's yeah. there to see a Christian band, and you're not. Maybe, yeah. I, but, they don't, but the reaction would be to the Cornerstone Festival. Yeah, but the reaction would just be like nods and crossed yeah. arms. This yeah, no. was like torches and violence and. I've rocks. never understood that world of like because it's not just like they're just like the bigger concert where people are like upset yeah. about the opening act, and I'm every time I'm just like, are you not? Yeah, yeah. You realize how this works. Like it can't just be immediately Slayer comes. Yeah, no. And when when Slayer did the big four, where do they play in that lineup? I think with those with those bands like Metallica uh, will trump Slayer. They yeah. play third. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. when Anthrax, Megadeth, Slayer, yeah, yeah. Metallica, uh, Metallica, yeah, uh, and Jam. Man, um, the uh, one of the best <laughs> shows I've ever seen. <laughs> my my earlier worst gigs. These are all, by the way, like my. These are the worst moments of like my best. Yes, because like, well, I've had the worst stuff happen to me, even though I was doing stuff that I like. Like, of course, yeah, right. I played in a band that was like that existed on the 
far-reaching periphery of like jam band right. stuff because we were just basically like a fusion quartet uh-huh. that played like very um, long-form, odd-time, like free improv kind of stuff. Um, Sleepy Time Gorilla Museum. This band was string cheese. This well, this band was weather report. This band was yeah, very much akin to weather report. Now you're talking our language, okay? But it was it's called Schleho, which was (laughs) yep. It's spelled it's spelled S C H. L-E-I-G-H-O. Schleho! That yeah. is the best band name yeah. I've ever heard on we this We would show. arrive at venues. So this band toured um, throughout the 90s. I joined in 1998 or 1999, and I think I did two years and one record with them, and I loved playing in that band. It was like my homecoming. From. It wasn't Schleho. Like it nope. was Schleho. The <laughs> top names that we would commonly arrive to venues and see on a poster uh-huh. were... Um, the, the greatest ones were... Shintoya, <laughs> which isn't even any of the same letters. I think that's what John Travolta pronounced yep. that yeah. singer's name. These are name all John Travolta yeah. pronunciations right. of Schleho. One was Skullhead. Um, <laughs> I thought they were going to get a different band. Yeah, and then there were often phonetic reprintings right. of it where they would just be like, oh, it's S-H-L-A-Y-H-O. <laughs> and they're like, all right, fine, we're that. But we toured in, uh, we, like, our mailing list was, like, a literal fucking mailing list. Like, we were still putting stamps right. on yeah. postcards and stuff yeah. back then, which sounds like, oh, my sure. God, yeah. I grew up, that's my old man story yeah. from the day. Uh, and then we toured in a van, the four of us, with all of our gear, and we had a ton of gear. We were so, like, obnoxious with the amount of stuff we had. Um, and the first tour I did with them, our manager, or maybe he was our booker at that point, who was just like this guy, I can't remember his last name, his first name was Scott, and uh, he was a keyboard player in another band, but he would like book gigs for us. And um, at that point, just because like there were fans and they had records and we had gigs, like I had no perspective on like if we were doing well or not. I was right. making very, very no money, like little money, <laughs> and... um I remember being in the van go st- at the start of a tour and he's like making phone calls like advancing the shows like calling the the venues and mm-hmm. making sure everything's set. early cell phone or are you calling from a He had ven- a cell this was when he, he didn't have had a dialer It was the only cell f- it was like the his phone and it was only for like emergency uh-huh, right. uses only um and I remember him being on the phone with a with a venue and being like hi this is uh, Scott um calling for the Schleho show on the 15th <laughs> and um yeah, so we agreed on $400 and 80% of the door. Okay. Okay, so we'll do 360%. <laughs> Can you do 150? <laughs> you don't understand. These guys will drive to the other side of the country for peanut butter and jelly. Can you give them gas money? Oh and my I, we're God. all sitting in the van, and I'm looking at him, and I'm like, this guy shouldn't be in charge. Of yeah. What a schleho this guy. Yeah, what a schleho. So, so we had like that band had more of the worst gigs ever than any band I was ever in, uh, unless you go one step back, which was the band that I met Schleho. The band <laughs> I was playing in when I met Schleho was called uh, Fuck. I'm even gonna say it. Uh, it was called Hypnotic Clambake. Uh, oh. Jesus Christ. <laughs> yeah. Still better than Schleho. Yeah. I think, yeah. It makes sense. Yeah. yeah. And we toured in the Bounder, which is the Breaking Bad Winnebago. Right. Oh my god. So when wow. I that show hit, I was like, had this very weird like dementia yeah, yeah. moment of like, you're in a Clambake, man. I lived in one of those. <laughs> I smoked pot in one of those. But that's we. You know, we haven't had. 
I think up until now, anyone who's been on the jam band circuit, which is a completely yeah, alien yeah. world yeah, really, to us. I'm very insular, yeah. Um, it doesn't exist outside the United States, by the way. little right. interesting footnote. Oh, that, that genre, that world is... If it does, it's on like a, like a, a fraction of what it is here. Like that, but like, it's not surprising. In, in Mexico, my best friend just went... No, he just went to a weird like four-day sandals retreat that was Ooh. a jam band like that vacation. sounds like imported uh, uh yeah imported no, it was jam-ish. like it was essentially like phil leftover salmon and then mm-hmm. a bunch of ancillary bands yeah 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 uh and his wife is like into jam bands and he's just like i go to anything yeah. but like yeah they just sat like drinking margies <laughs> yeah we literally would do anything to play music i mean we like I remember our van bursting into flames on one tour. <laughs> I remember we we had a, a I like nearly was killed. We were at a rest stop in a snowstorm, and I was on the side of the van, you mm-hmm. know, the side doors. Yeah, and I was sipping a coffee, and uh, they're like, "Come on, dude, we're getting ready to go." And I was like, "All right, all right, all right." I hop in the van, I pull the door closed, and there's like one beat, and a car plop t bones us. Oh, and I one second later, and I would yeah. have been outside oh the van and dead. Uh, and the rest of that tour we had to do with the van bashed in clown car style, wow. like all going out the driver's seat oh. the whole time. <laughs> so wait, uh, so so Matt, I mean, you are a wellspring of stories, and yeah, I, I get the I'm feeling sorry. that yeah. we could we could sit here for a very long time, and yeah. and, and 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 these are all winners. Yeah. Um, in the interest of time, I, I have yeah. one quick question because I was glancing at your the uh, title of a Schleho record, mind you. In the interest of time, like I I, I pulled that up. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, that was intentional. I thought you were tying yeah, that. T- I thought a, you were doing a little call. I did I notice when I was looking through your your uh, discography. You just got to just give us a couple of words on mm-hmm. recording for Shaquille O'Neal. Shaq was we okay? So that <laughs> was a uh, like a a, a hip hop. So that era, that that time period, um, all kind of came from. I had played on the Miseducation of Lauren Hill. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And from that, with a friend of mine, a producer who was doing a lot of hip-hop stuff uh, at the time, we started doing these, like, kind of writing sessions where we would, like, make beats and then kind of sell them. Right. That one was produced by somebody else where it was like, we did this track and Common wrote a verse for Shaquille O'Neal. Because oh, yeah. sorry to blow the lid off this story, y'all. <laughs> Shaq don't write his own what? rhymes. What? Um, yeah, Shaq. Shaq. Uh, I'm outstanding. So he made yeah, a guest spot on the Fushnickens record. He yeah. wasn't doing that. He may have written that, but yeah. I don't know. But it was like <laughs> he probably. So did. yeah, so it was this thing where like we. It, it, it was really interesting because it happened a lot back then where we would like make a beat or or record something and then it would like go out right. and it would be shopped around or whatever and then like we would hear it later. Like when it was like when it became something, and that one was particularly like, oh wow, that's kind of weird. <laughs> like, <laughs> you know what I mean? It was like it was like a, like validation, and then a little bit of like just curiosity. Sure. Like, how did that happen? Um, yeah, got was shacked. was not. A, yeah, we got shacked. I was not in the studio with Shaq, and I probably made like no money on that. Wow, because it was a time where it was like. You were, you were, people were willing to just like record. Right. Mm-hmm. In those kind of scenarios, like make hip hop stuff was like just like cranking out beats. Yeah. Right. With the hope that you would. It was impersonal. It was not super impersonal. Yeah. It was like a real blue collar function. It was felt like factory work. To um, turn the tide a little bit, mm-hmm. what's the worst thing about you, personally or professionally, mm-hmm. that you'd like to change? Uh, I think I'm getting, I'm getting stubborn. 
or grumpy and i think it's just like uh the 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 residue of of years of touring (laughs) i i encountered it the other day with a band that i'm playing with right now where i was like asking all kinds of questions about like when we're leaving and when we're getting back and what time sound check and what's the deal with food and i was like yo chill out man like i had to like (laughs) remind myself like not to be a bitch right yeah um yeah i don't know i don't want to say it's it's not temper it's just like i've learned from so much experience right that like i kind of keep that on my hip all the time and i'm just like when i was playing in my grindcore band years one and our drummer was like i booked us a show at the meat locker in new jersey and it's on super bowl sunday during a snowstorm what's the meat lo- is that a, like it's a like bar? this place where someone got hepatitis from the walls <laughs> like it's a punk bar where gg allen's band yep. played the murder junkies played a show there okay okay and i was like you know what no. <laughs> like i'm not i'm i'm 33 yeah like I'm not doing that. Yeah. Like, and he's like, he was real pissed. But I was like, "You're 24. I know why I'm not doing yeah, that. I've, yeah, I've played on Super Bowl Sunday and in snowstorms. Yeah, and yeah. In shitty venues in the middle of Jersey. Yeah, it's a waste of my time. Yep. But there was, I was like, "Am I being a jerk about this?" And I'm like, yeah. well, no, I'm being smart." But it's finding that in between. Yeah, I would say it's to, if I had to like put a a point on it, I would say it's probably a combination of trusting my gut mm-hmm. and also like. And and this comes a, a lot from improv as well. Is like working well in a group dynamic. Right. That's the hardest thing about any creative endeavor that you do as a group is like respecting, identifying the chemistry of it, mm-hmm. respecting it, and then like occupying your place in it well. Yeah. That that's hard. That's that's yeah. always hard. That's hard for those Rolling Stones. And and we haven't even touched on your comedy career. Um, is, is I don't know this, if it's a career yet. Or, you know, it's, <laughs> is, was this something like, in my case, I only got involved with UCB after my band had ended and yeah. I actually had the time to like take classes and, yeah. and do stuff like that. Are, are you, re- have you recently been doing things with them or is this a long, long yeah, time? Yeah. I mean, I, I went to shows the first like time I discovered it. I think I saw like Mother and Ruben Williams in 2000, whenever that was, six mm, yeah. or five or something. And I went to shows on the weekends after a friend of mine had taken me there. And I just like the, uh, the, the announcement for taking classes just always just kind of, I never caught it. I don't know. I wasn't paying it. I, cause I thought it was the most fascinating. I thought improv was the most fascinating thing mm-hmm. and just super fun. Um, but then I was on the road a lot. I think I took 101 in like 2008 with Lennon Parham. Yep. And I couldn't do the class show because we were playing Giant Stadium. <laughs> and I had to tell her. And I was like, oh, I can't make the class show. She was like, why not? I was like, I have a gig. She was like, Your ba- you have a band? I was like, yeah. She's like, where are you guys playing? And I was, and I was, at that was the point where I was like, just say, just, just say anywhere. Don't, yeah. don't say Giant Stadium. Uh, and I did. And she was like, oh, you should probably go to that (laughs) um and then i went away for a while and i came back really this uh 2000 the beginning of the end of 2012 and i decided i was gonna get off the road entirely for 2013 and that's when i like really dug in super hard and i did 401 and a bunch of advanced study stuff and started getting into the indie scene and but the, the the scene as i like knew it really changed from like even harold knight from Mm -hmm. then from like 2008 until when I got back into town, like things changed so drastically, but it also felt like there was like this huge explosion with not only of the other theaters and, and so many places that indie shows were happening. Um, and I was like, so thrilled to be back because that was one of the things that like, I always wanted to put 
some time into, but when you're touring, it's impossible. I mean, not, yeah. you can't really do anything when you're yeah. on tour. Well, you can you, work were out. Were you the funny guy in Take Mech Sunday or the All-American Dream I Jacks? don't know. There's so, so many musicians are so well cut out for improv. Mm-hmm. Um, and, I mean, there's funny. I mean, Eddie's hilarious. Uh, I don't know if, if, yeah, I mean, there's a lot of funny guys in all those bands. Tyson from the Rejects is like a natural performer. Uh, I played with Patrick Stump for a while in a band of his. He's the singer in Fall Out Boy. Mm-hmm. Right. Patrick has taken a bunch of classes at UCBLA and is oh, like, yes. I didn't a, even know that. like a natural, like, yeah. Like really comes second. He's from Chicago, really. Right. You know, if, if you're from Chicago, it's like <laughs> it's just comedy. Yeah, yeah, it's in the water in Chicago. Um, yeah, it's. I don't know, man. I think it's uh, the, the the analogousness of it to jazz always was interesting to me. And the more that I like study both of those things, I uh, constantly am like readjusting the Venn diagram. Sometimes sure. it's not one yeah. at all, and sometimes it's a circle. And look, it all comes back to Weather Report. Yeah, it, it all really comes does. back uh, to so, fusion in the seventies. <laughs> so, Matt, a uh, question that. That we ask all of our guests mm-hmm. what do you think of the word gig i've i love it <laughs> i've used it forever i've been and in the rock world it gets made fun of mm-hmm. they call it shows mm-hmm. uh in every other sense it's it's like that 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 brotherhood we were talking about before mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you know gig sounds like deprecating even when the way people that have oh, i got a gig tonight they right. say it deprecating right. it doesn't sound positive <laughs> yeah yeah um i don't do we know the word origin uh, we've been we've been we've, trying to get into this yeah. for for Is years it every time we've decided to just not look it up, just let <laughs> it roll just let it keep the yeah. mystery mystery yeah. going that's a very good answer yeah. and this is you've given us again fantastic stories fantastic uh you, you're juggling all of these things a lot yeah. of stuff going on i didn't even get to ask you about what playing a six-string bass is like and it's, and the implications of how cool that is or not we'll yeah. get into that another nobody time likes, nobody likes that you uh you've got a lot of stuff going on from jeff and i just get home safe thank you very much worst gig ever, ever. ever.